Good morning. I am Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership. We are pleased to have back with us this week the independent candidate for the gubernatorial election of New Jersey, Mr. Chris Daggett. Chris, welcome back. Thank you, Darrell. Pleasure to be here again. Really enjoyed our discussion last week in regards to your policies and your thoughts about how you're going to bring leadership to New Jersey and lead us out of our current problems. But today, we want to talk about the man, the family, the man behind the family. Uh, you've been involved in politics a long time. Can you share with us how you got started in politics, why you got started in politics? Sure. I uh, was born and raised here. I was born actually in Orange Memorial Hospital. and uh, But then I spent seven years of my life down in Linwood, down between Atlantic City and Ocean City on the shore, uh, and went through the public schools there and then came up to Basking Ridge in 1962, and I've actually been there ever since. When I first moved there, it was farm and field and uh, very little development and uh, mostly rural, actually, and grew over the years. But uh, my parents were both actively involved. My father was involved in Little League. He was involved in the school board down in Linwood, was president of the school board for a period of time. Uh, his work was in public affairs with New Jersey Bell Telephone Company. My mother was involved in a lot of the AAUW, American Association of University Women. She was involved in a lot of church activities, and she and my father uh, joined some other uh, adults down in Pleasantville when they had been going to church in Pleasantville as a kid, but they, uh, they got tired of traveling to Pleasantville every Sunday, and they ended up starting a church in Summers Point, an Episcopal church there, uh, Christ Church in Summers Point, which is now a thriving church, but it was then a, just a little mansion that people bought and converted into a, a church. Uh, my father, uh, then when we moved north, my parents were involved again in, in uh, nonprofit and uh, 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 volunteer work. And it just sort of became something that I got involved in, and uh, it became part of me, I guess. And so when I got out of college, and while I was in college, I got involved. I was vice president of the student body at the University of North Carolina when I was there. And ultimately, when I came back, somebody asked me if I wanted to get involved in Tom Kane's, excuse me, Ray Bateman's campaign in 1977. And uh, uh, I had just been finishing up a doctorate in education at the University of Massachusetts in Amherst thought I was going to come back, and so I got involved. Uh, after I finished my dissertation, I came into the campaign and got another taste of what it's like to be in the political world, and I enjoyed it, but Ray lost. And uh, then he set up a consulting firm, and the two of us did that for four years, and I took a leave of absence to join Tom Kane. In 1981, when he won, he asked me to stay on as his deputy chief of staff, and uh, I did that for, did all his higher education, education policy because of my own background. But then, um, speaking of your education, you have your doctorate. I, I do. In I have a doctorate yeah. in education, mm -hmm. and uh, I I then got involved though in emergency activities at uh, the governor's office, where I was responsible for working with the state police and the Department of Environmental Protection and the Department of Health whenever there was a real problem somewhere in the state. And I got involved in the early days of Superfund program when we were trying to identify contaminated sites all over New Jersey, and. Uh, was extensively involved actually in that for a while. Finally, when uh, uh, there became a vacancy at the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency as regional administrator, and it was uh, coming on the heels of a difficult time where the uh, first Reagan term, 
and a woman named Rita Lavelle, who was the head of the Hazardous Waste Program, and a woman named Ann Burford, who was the head of EPA, got declared in contempt of Congress and resigned. President Reagan brought in Bill Ruckelshaus, who was a very well-respected man around the country, and he changed about six of the regional administrators out of ten, and when the dust settled, I was named as regional administrator at EPA in New York, uh, and had the responsibility for New York, New Jersey, Puerto Rico, and the Virgin Islands. I uh, did that for four years, involved in a number of issues, and then came back here in the cabinet to run the Department of Environmental Protection. And then, uh, since then, I've spent about 20 years in the private sector and doing a lot of uh, work in what's known as brownfields development, buying contaminated property, cleaning up and redeveloping it. And I've sat on about, uh, I don't know, a dozen or more nonprofit boards back with the original thing with my parents. I believe deeply in giving back to a community. But along the way, Darrell, I realized that in my mind, and I had been involved really as an independent effectively, because even though I came through the Republican Party, uh, the jobs I held demanded that I do what was right rather than what was partisan or what was in the interest of some special interests. And you can't run environmental agencies in a partisan fashion. You have to let the best science and public policy drive you. So I spent a lot of time focusing on that. And I had to work with Democrats and Republicans and independents and men and women and all the different races and ethnic groups. And so I was really independent-minded. I had more of an independent spirit. And I finally, in all the process, got increasingly disillusioned with both parties to the point that I said, you know, it doesn't matter who's in Trenton, Republican or Democrat. Nothing ever changes. It's the same old thing. Your property taxes keep going up. All your taxes go up. You don't see necessarily improvement in services. So I decided it was time to run as an independent because I had really, as I said, operated in many respects as an independent in my, in my roles. And um, so I decided to take on a mission that a lot of people said uh, was going to be something. I, first they said I couldn't raise the money. Then I said, they said I couldn't get very far in the polls. And now we've raised the money. Uh, we're somewhere in the uh, mid-20s or higher uh, in the polls. And movement is coming in my direction. And I think what's happening is people are suddenly saying, oh, my goodness, this is possible. And there is so much sentiment out there against both parties that I believe on Tuesday uh, I'm going to surprise people. and We're going to win this election because uh, the, the state of New Jersey is ready for an independent. They are tired of politics as usual. They want someone who will give them the honest truth about what the issues are and some common sense practical solutions for how to deal with them. And that's what I have fashioned my entire campaign on because I believe in the end the politics or the, uh, uh, the power of ideas will ultimately trump the power of money in a democracy. And so despite the fact that I'm the underdog and I'm underfunded relative to my two opponents, uh, we've managed to demonstrate that when you put ideas out, people start to listen. And as a result, we've gotten some great traction, and now uh, we're going to pull this off in a few days. It's very exciting because I understand that in the polls that you're in the high 20s in regards to that. And I think uh, your your opponents are in the 30s. Uh, they might be the high 30s, but uh, there's a lot of time left. There is. And, uh, and and we, uh, we are going to surprise people. We are going to surprise them because... The sentiment is you have to just campaign with me for one day and see how angry people are about both parties. People have had it. They want they don't they don't want vague promises and a wave of the hand saying, trust me, I have a plan the way Chris Christie has done. Uh, and but I won't tell you till after the election mm -hmm. or 
John Corzine, who says, I don't really have a plan going forward, but look what I did for you during the last four years. It's really good. And everybody scratches their head and says, well, wait a second. I don't think what you did was so good. Um, I've got high taxes. We've got a, an economy that's in deep trouble. We've got a budget that has an $8 billion projected deficit. So, uh, and and your, the, the Governor Corzine's negative ratings are very high. Uh, this is a state that has had enough. They want somebody who's different, and they, they want somebody who's going to look at what are the issues, to heck with party ideology, to heck with special interests. What does it take to solve these problems? And I've tried to provide that from the beginning, and I believe that this is, has captured people's attention, and that's why I've been climbing in the polls while my opponents have been going down in the polls ever since June. They've been going down, and I've been going up, and at some point we're going to cross, and it's going to be enough for me to win this election. I, I do think it's a sad state of affairs at a debate where one candidate is complaining about another candidate running an ad uh, about one's weight. We have, we have very serious issues in New Jersey, and the time and a debate should be spent on debating what are the key issues and the problems. It's been horrible. You know, I, I told people I wasn't going to run a negative campaign, and I haven't. I've tried to run a positive campaign. I've had a little humor. I mean, my heads are trying to get people to laugh a little bit about the situation. But I'm dead serious about this, and I think that the horribly negative campaign that has been run by Chris Christie and the same thing that's been done by John Corzine has made people cynical about government. It's turned them off to government. Who cares about a driving record? Who cares whether you made loans to subordinates or girlfriends or somebody you found on the street? Frankly, people do not care. They want to know what are you going to do to fix this state. That's why I've taken the chance that if I lay out specific plans, people will come forward and be responsive, even if they disagree. They'll come and say, hey, why don't you do this? Change this a little bit and make it better. Um, and I listen to them. And that's the way democracy should operate, not this wave of the hand. Oh, I have a plan, but I can't tell you the specifics because you're not smart enough as a voter, or I don't trust you enough as a voter, or I don't trust that my opponent will rip me apart if I say it. Tack with all that. Put your Put your ideas out there and let's debate them before the election, not after the election. Let's talk about the potential first lady, B. <laughs> she has a, an amazing story and she continually gives back to the community. Can you share with our audience uh, her background? Sure, and, I'd and be happy to. What she's done and what she's doing. Uh, I've got a wonderful wife of 27 years. Uh, my wife is actually an immigrant. She was born in Budapest. Uh, her father was a military officer and engineer, and in 1956, when the Hungarian Revolution occurred, he was faced with a difficult choice. He had to decide either to stay and run the risk that he was going to be uh, either killed or made or coerced into helping the communist government out, or he could escape, and he chose to flee to a better opportunity, but unfortunately he had to leave the family behind, and they were separated for five years from 1956 to 61, and all the while, um, I... Uh, Father-in-law and mother-in-law communicated by mail and phone, uh, kept in touch as much as they could. And when Khrushchev and Kennedy met in 1961, they agreed to reunite families that had been separated by the Hungarian Revolution. And my mother-in-law had been uh, so uh, aggressive in her pursuit of trying to get out of the country and so much a pain in the neck to the authorities that they, they asked her a question and said, uh, who would you thank if we give you this visa? And she thought for a minute, and she said, Khrushchev. And they said, you got the visa. And it, my, uh, uh, my wife and her family were the first family allowed out of Hungary uh, and came over to then Idlewild Airport to uh, now Kennedy Airport 
to reunite with uh, my with B's father, who then went on to become a top engineer at uh, a top scientist and researcher at uh, IBM in uh, Poughkeepsie. But B then uh, went through Vassar College, and mm-hmm. she and I uh, literally bumped into another. I bumped I bumped into her with my car accidentally. Just happened to bump just touch bumpers enough that uh, it was almost an accident, but we were fortunate nothing happened, and that's how we met. And uh, we got to know one another and got married, and and, uh, as I said, I've had a a wonderful relationship with her. She's been deeply involved in the community. She served on our school board for nine years uh, and uh, went through those uh, battles of local educational politics, and she has been actively involved in some other nonprofit activities, a foundation in town, uh, and uh, at the same time, uh, did work as a public affairs and advertising person, mostly in the public affairs side, uh, and managed to raise two of our two wonderful daughters who are now in their uh, mid-20s. And, and uh, so, yeah, she's had a very interesting life story, still speaks fluent Hungarian uh, and very difficult language. Uh, I can't say that I learned it, unfortunately, but uh, <laughs> she still speaks fluently. And I'm particularly interested, she's a board member of the Bonnie Bray Residential Treatment Center true. for Troubled Youngsters. How long has she been involved? She's been with on that? there for, oh my goodness, six or eight years anyway. Uh, it's a very interesting school. It is a school uh, that deals with some of the toughest situation of kids. They're usually without parents or, or homeless or they've gotten involved in some real trouble with the law. And this is really their last stop. They've been around to a number of different places. And they come to this residential treatment center in, in our community, actually. It's been in Berners Township for 80 or 90 years. And uh, the, uh, uh, the program there is really works with the kids, tries if they, they, for a time, I don't know if they're still doing as much, would get them into the public school system as opposed to having their own school on, mm-hmm. on campus. But uh, it's a terrific program in dealing with some of the most difficult and uh, troubled youngsters. But boy, I'll tell you what, they've had su- great success. In fact, if you remember, it was the Bonnie Bray Drum Corps that played at Barack Obama's presidential inauguration. They, uh, they came yeah, right. out of there. There were a bunch of kids, and how they became that? a national story about how they had just basically uh, somewhat of a ragtag group of kids in terms of the quality of their instruments. And people made donations to give them better drums and to give them uniforms. And they performed for uh, as part of the inaugural parade. And it was a life-changing experience, I'm sure, for some of those kids. Absolutely. Now, as B has served on the school board of Bernard's Township for nine years, um, as a potential first lady, are we going to get a two-for-one where she might help out the administration? Absolutely. I I would have no qualms about having my wife get involved in uh, education and uh, issues in New Jersey and any number of other issues. She's an incredibly smart person and uh, very detail-oriented and a person who uh, is also quite compassionate, gets along well with people. Uh, She will... Uh, serve well as first lady to the state. She, she, and she's a very classy person in that um, I think people who, who know her and have met her uh, would find that she would make an outstanding first lady. Let's talk about Allie for a second, uh, graduate of Columbia University, yep. currently working on the campaign. Yes, she is. So she's put her career on, on hold. She has. Uh, what is she doing on the campaign? She is acting as uh, assistant campaign manager, actually, or deputy campaign manager. She's been uh, deeply involved in it for some time now uh, and is a very intense and highly organized young woman who has just added a lot of energy to the campaign and have been a great help to people. Uh, and in particular relates well to uh, a wide range of the uh, younger people that have to get involved. So uh, she's done a terrific job. 
Excellent. And uh, Justine? Justine, yes. Justine has been deeply involved in the volunteer side. Uh, she, too, she graduated from Bucknell University mm-hmm. and actually is an elementary education teacher, is what she wants to be, and is certified here and in, and in uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, in fact, at some point, going to need to think about that after the election because <laughs> she's, uh, she put her career a little bit on hold also. But she, too, is just, she's just a wonderful kid who uh, is uh, very – everybody seems to be her friend. Oh, it's an interesting how some kids uh, just have friends that gravitate toward her, and Justine's been that way. Uh, and is working very hard on the volunteer side. So we've, Con- we've had a family affair out of this. Yes, considering her trip to uh, Egypt to study Egyptian mm-hmm. history, um, I'm sure her experiences there are helping her on the campaign in regards to, uh, you know, working with folks from different cultures and backgrounds and, and understanding. Has she said anything to you about um, her experience in Egypt and how it's working in the campaign? Yeah, um, she did. She got to see another culture and a, a wider range of people. Uh, much more so in some respects than she saw out at Bucknell on a day-to-day basis or a a year-to-year basis. But uh, uh, I think those kinds of things are always good experiences. I would encourage any kid that has an opportunity to be part of a college program that you can either spend a semester overseas or a month even. Boy, I would tell kids jump at it because there's nothing better than to get a well-rounded education to to see what the rest of the world's like, to be exposed to other cultures and other races – uh, nothing could be better than that kind of exchange. It, it ends up having huge impact worldwide in terms of culture, in terms of people's living and working together and figuring out how to uh, live in peace. Uh, it is, it's a remarkable experience, and I would encourage every single kid who goes to college to think about doing that kind of thing because there's nothing better. Now let's talk about your personal life in a sense of relaxation. I know in the campaign there's no time to relax, right. but... When there is time to relax, what do you do to, to unwind? Well, I've uh, actually played a good deal of competitive tennis in my life, and so uh, I still play a fairly good amount of it, not nearly mu- as much as I'd like to during the campaign, obviously, but I do that. I, I read a lot. I like to do things with my family. Uh, we like to travel when we can, although we haven't done a great deal of travel, but mm-hmm. we've been fortunate enough to be able to travel to a number of uh, countries and see a number of different people. Uh, uh, but... I, I generally, uh, I'm not too extravagant in my uh, relaxation and uh, activities. I, I don't mind staying around home when I can. What's the last good book that you read that you want to share with us? Uh, I've read a couple of good books. I uh, read a good book called American Gospel, which is a story about uh, freedom of religion in, in this country and how it is a major part of the success of this country that we've been able to have uh, a wide range of religions that have been able to coexist and uh, express their views religiously and express and practice their religions uh, in peace rather than uh, what we see around the world, which unfortunately has been not something that uh, has occurred all over. And, and that is one of the biggest drivers about the success of, of the U.S., uh, uh, the United States of America over the years has been that. And it's, it was a wonderful book about it. Now, in regard, let's get back to the tennis for a second because uh, I play tennis, but I wouldn't say it's competitively because I'm okay. <laughs> uh, do you play singles or doubles? Uh, lately, I play more doubles, but I still will play an occasional game of singles, but it's mostly doubles and uh, uh, some mixed doubles, but mostly men's doubles. Mm-hmm. Very good, very good. Now, if, is there a particular quote that you can share with the audience that kind of 
defines who Chris Daggett is? Interesting you ask. I, I, I speak to kids a lot and college students uh, as well as high school students, and I tell them it's not so much a quote as it's a bumper sticker. My favorite bumper sticker of all times is question authority. And the reason I say that, not in the kind of tear down the walls, but mm-hmm. this state is in a financial mess in part because not enough people questioned authority. You know, we all go about our daily lives and we do the sorts of things we do and we think that government's taking care of us and people are working on different things. But in the bottom line is too often that's not happening. And part of it is because we don't question authority in the positive American spirit of saying, let's make things better. Let's figure out how uh, what we're doing and whether it's the right thing. And if not, how can we make it better? But don't sit by and just make the assumption that people are doing the right thing because that's where you get into trouble. So my feeling is to kids, uh, never be complacent. Never sit back and assume somebody else is doing the work. Never assume that it's always being done well. Go out and ask questions. Go out to, to uh, planning board meetings or school board meetings or local meetings or volunteer somewhere. Get involved and start to ask questions. Why are we doing this and can we do it better? Because that's what makes this country great. That's what makes the state of New Jersey great. And we haven't done it enough in the past years. And so uh, by all means, question authority. Very good. This has been excellent. Uh, Chris, I want to thank you for coming in over the last two weeks to do this interview. I think that uh, voters of New Jersey will get a good sense of who the man is, what your policies are, and how you can help New Jersey. I want to thank you. Darrell, I I thank you for giving me the opportunity to be here. It's been a pleasure, and uh, we've had some good lengthy conversations about issues which you don't often get to do on the campaign trail, so I appreciate it. This is Darrell Gunter, your host of Leadership on WSOU-FM 89.5. Have a great day. Welcome back to Leadership with your host, Darrell Gunter. I'm very pleased to have with me today the news director for WSOU 89.5 FM radio, Eric Bishop. Eric, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Darrell. Thank you for having me. I know you've been quite busy uh, talking to the different campaigns about the election. Uh, what strikes you about independent candidate uh, Mr. Chris Daggett? Well, there are a few things. I think that he's very um, intelligent in what he's saying, and he's not letting the actual politics behind the politics get in the way. He's an independent. He's not making choices based on being a Republican, or he's not making choices based on Democrat. He's making choices based on the thoughts that, and you know, the thoughts and his primary concerns are backing every decision that he's saying he will make. And I think that stands out. And I don't think that you see that with Corzine or with Christie as a whole. Another thing that I think was very interesting is his campaign in general and his advertising. You know, you're not seeing these um, these TV commercials or these bulletin ads, you know, uh, trash talking either either one of his competitors. And I think that shows a lot of integrity about him. And I think that that's one thing as a student that that I'm looking for. I'm looking for, uh, you know, someone who holds a lot of integrity to take New Jersey further and to, you know, make the most out of the Garden State that we all live in. Now, as the news director for WSOU 89.5 FM, you have some very special plans for election night. Tell us about those plans in regards to the coverage from the various different uh, party sites. Uh, That's right. um, Since I am the news director here, I will be holding an event um, on election night, I think starting around 7 o'clock. We'll be holding, I think it'll be an hour-long program, pretty much election coverage. Um, We'll be sending three teams out to the campaign headquarters, a team of two to um, the 
Corazon headquarters, a team of two, to Christie headquarters, and a team of two to the Daggett headquarters, um, at locations that we are not yet um, aware of. They haven't given us that information, but I'm waiting. And in time, um, they will, they will, the campaigns will be email, emailing me, but I've been talking to all the press secretaries, setting up interviews with, with, um, setting up interviews with um, representatives for each campaign. Um, also, I've talked to um, both Shaina Tulo, who is the president of College Democrats, as well as Gary Laspiza from the College Republicans, and we've discussed how students here at Seton Hall are getting involved in the campaign. And I understand that uh, it's the first here on the campus that you can actually vote in the library. Yeah, that's right. I was actually uh, told this by um, Gary from the College Republicans that Seton Hall is one of the few schools um, where actually there are polls uh, located on campus, and this year they will be held in the library. I think that's going to make it very easy for students, as long as they're registered, to vote. I mean, they just literally need to roll out of bed. They can walk right to the library. I mean, our campus is not very, very large. And vote and, you know, go right on to class. I mean, I think that's very, that's very um, easy for the, for the, for the students to, to be able to, to use that to their full advantage. They don't need to walk all the way downtown to, um, to the polls down further on South Orange. I mean, it's literally right on campus. They don't have an excuse not to vote. Excellent. And, you know, you mentioned the two different um, Democrat and Republican parties here on the campus. Seems like there needs to be an independent party on this campus. I think there actually there is. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to get in touch with them in order to uh, to set up an interview. Um, but I think there is uh, some information that I've been getting from both of these, um, the two clubs here, like the College Democrats and the College Republicans. And one thing that I found really interesting is, um, you know, they've been they've been setting up tables in the cafeteria, you know, giving out pamphlets and and information to all students walking past. But they have this one thing which uh, which I wasn't even aware of until this year, until the I was talking to them. But it's called dorm storming. Have you ever heard about that, Darrell? Dorm storming. I I get a good idea, but I've never heard it before. All right, it's actually and. And like I said, I just found out about this. Very interesting. It's when um, they would have representatives from both uh, the college Democrats, you know, students or college Republicans, actually bang on students' doors here on campus, you know, storm the dorms, you know, so to say, and, you know, just, you know, t- briefly talk to the students and get them informed, ask if they've registered to vote, ask if they're voting, ask if they want information on either candidate. And it's pretty much, you know, they're barging in, you know, with permission, they're knocking, but, you know, they're pretty much getting in their face and just making sure that the students are prepared for the election coming up. And I thought that was very interesting. That's a very proactive way for both groups, um, from both organizations, to, you know, get in touch with the students uh, on campus who maybe normally they wouldn't see walking in the halls or walking across the campus. Is there going to be an election night party here on the campus where the Democrat uh, clubs and the Republican club and the independent club can come together and watch the results come in but have a good time and have some collaboration? I know in the past they've done that, so I'm not... I can't tell you for sure, but I can, I'm very positive. I'm very sure that they would do something very similar to that. They usually do that in the Pirates Cove. Also, throughout the uh, the past few weeks, when they when the campaigns have been holding debates, um, I know that both all the all the organizations here on campus have been getting involved in one room in the Pirates Cove on a nice flat screen TV, and they've been you know watching the campaigns and um, you know and and having debates, you know college debates after the uh, after the debates themselves on TV. That would be something that would be great for uh, WSOU to uh, cover. That would be, that's correct. Unfortunately, we haven't had that opportunity yet. We still have mm-hmm. another week or so until, uh, until it's all over. But um, one thing we have been covering is that uh, the college Republicans have been doing phone banks. 
and what that is essentially is that mm-hmm. they'll be they have a, a, a set um, a set num- uh, amount of numbers phone numbers that they're calling people asking if they're registered asking you know if they know who they're voting for asking if you know if if they're informed on the on the issues at hand and so that's also you know that's also another proactive way for the both the uh, college um, parties to get involved as the news director, what are the key themes that you're focused on during this election season? There are two in the, there are two main uh, focuses that uh, I'm not just looking at for myself, but is a is a main um, a main problem with uh, the the college demographic. You know, the, the recent grads, and first and foremost, that's the economy, and that's finding jobs. The job market is very scarce, and it's it's hard for newly you know new college kids to find jobs out there. I have a few friends who graduated this past year and, you know, they've had all throughout college years, they've been working very hard, they've been getting good grades, they've taken on numerous internships and it's just not helping. Nobody is hiring. The job market needs to open up for college students and, you know, well-informed, very smart college students can't find a job after going, you know, attending college for four or five years. It's, it's very upsetting. Um, so hopefully that's the one thing that needs to happen. There needs to be a wider market, uh, job market opening up. Also, property taxes is an issue. I have some friends also that came came to Seton Hall here, you know, from different states. They graduate, they want to stick around, you know, with the with the New York market so close. They want to stick around in New Jersey. They're all their all their friends from college are here. The New York market, like I just said, is very close. However, they can't afford it. If they can even find a job, they're not going to be able to afford living here because of the property tax. So those two issues go hand in hand, and those are the two issues that I have been um, primarily kind of focused on. And, and, you know, speaking on behalf of everybody here, and, and not just all the students here at Seton Hall, but, you know, at, uh, at FDU, at Rutgers, that's the biggest problem with students, um, college grads, and, you know, college students in the, in, uh, the Garden State. Those are really two huge issues, and, and, you're, and you're so right because um, you've invested four years and a considerable amount of, of money into your education, and to have a very, very tough job market, uh, it's, it's, it's very frustrating. So uh, I, I do hope that uh, uh, we can turn this around in New Jersey. I believe we can, and with the right leadership, and uh, we'll definitely see it done. We'll have to uh, wait, give it, a, give it a week or two, and we'll have to see where, how everything pans out for college students um, in, the, in the Garden State. Great. This is Darrell Gunter, your host of Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM. Have a great week, and remember, leadership, it begins with you.